first one. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him were all things created, in the heavens and upon the earth, things visible and things invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things have been created through him and unto him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it was the good pleasure of the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. And through, sorry, <laughs> through him to reconcile all things unto himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things upon the earth or things in the heavens. What wonderful, marvelous truths we're singing. Never ceases to amaze me just what God has done for us. Our scripture read, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, as we conclude our series on the incarnation, that Jesus came to earth, God in the flesh, we have seen that he was the image of the invisible God. He said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That's not just resembles the Father. That is the Father in Jesus of one essence. He was the firstborn of all creation. Suggesting ownership, inheritance, all things are his and all things will be summed up in Jesus. He's the creator of all things and all things were created for him. He's eternal and all powerful. The one who holds the universe and all that we know and experience and enjoy holds it together. This is Jesus. He's the head of his body, the church, the one we look to. And he's the firstborn from the dead, meaning that he is going to bring us who put our faith in him into resurrection life, just like himself. Be raised in the likeness of Christ. And then today, finally, we're going to see that the fullness of God came to earth to reconcile us to himself. So I'd like to think about reconciliation, what it meant for God to come in all his fullness on a mission to bring us to glory. Well, if you look around the world today, you cannot argue that there is not a great need for peace, right? I mean... We look on the global scale and we see Yemen, you know, where one in two people are not are experiencing hunger to this to this extreme that they don't have enough food to make it through the day. Afghanistan, a war that killed over 40,000 combatants and civilians. 
the tensions between U.S. and China. Those relations are greatly strained as they're locked in this strategic competition for economic control. Syria, the instability of that country now that we pulled out our troops, they're left to this potentially Islamic state and a difficult life for the people there. Internal strife in Sudan, civil war in Cameroon, Ukraine and Russia, Venezuela, people fleeing from the country to neighboring countries to find peace and help. So peace on a global scale is constantly being challenged. The result is threat to security and human life, fear, starvation, genocide, mass exodus from places where the threats are most severe, homelessness. This is the troubling reality of our world. Closer to home, how many of you have been listening to the impeachment hearings? Yeah, how, how can we help but listen to them? Americans are more divided along party lines, more extensive and polarized than any point in recent history. There's hate-filled rhetoric and villainizing of those who disagree with us on both sides of the aisle. And even closer to home, we need to no, look no further than just the dysfunctional relationships of society, even our homes. The do- divorce rate is slightly lower these days, but cohabitation rate is way up. And of those relationships, few of them really survive the long term. Drug-related deaths are at an all-time high in 20. 20- 17, more than 70,000 people died from drug overdoses. We read in the newspapers every day of what's happening in our own community. Violence. Four children die from child abuse on a daily basis in the United States. The suicide rates are way up. 6% of adults between the ages of 18 and older have attempted at least once to commit suicide. Hopelessness, despair, wanting to stop the pain. So these are just some of the symptoms of the kind of world that we live in. This is the elephant in the room that we don't like to talk about on Sunday mornings. But it's, it's what we face daily, right? Wars, divorce, violence, drug use, Related deaths, suicide, a severe problem facing us as a nation, as families, and as individuals. So why am I bringing all this negativity to us on Sunday morning? Because this is the world in which Jesus stepped into. He knew our pain. It wasn't a lot different in his day than it is today. They were under a terrible, oppressive regime did not have the freedoms that we enjoy. Into this world of chaos and strife, God sent his son. He launched this peace initiative. We're told that in these verses, it was a father's good pleasure to reconcile all things to himself. This is what made him happy as he looked at the earth and saw the misery that we were experiencing He wanted to bring to us 
true peace. And he did this through the process of reconciliation. He pinpointed the nature of the problem in the world as the need for reconciliation to himself. He didn't point to educating humans, didn't point to providing us with comfortable, secure lifestyles where food and clothing and shelter were all provided. He didn't point to perfect governments and just and competent leaders or the right climate controls. His answer to the hatred and the strife and the selfish ambition that exists all around us was to send his son, Jesus, to be the peace, peace initiative, to reconcile us to himself. Now, reconciliation involves a change in the relationship between God and man and between human to human, right? It assumes that there has been a breakdown in the relationship, that there is something that needs to change, an enmity that needs to stop, a war that needs to be halted, a fragmentation to one from fragmentation to harmony in relationships. So today I'd like us to consider Jesus as the peacemaker, the reconciler of all things. Through him, God was pleased to reconcile all things to himself. So on that first Christmas, so many years ago, the angels declared to the shepherds out watching their sheep, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, peace and goodwill to all men. Recall the angels' words to Joseph. Remember when Joseph was going to put away Mary because he found out that she was pregnant? He said, she shall bear a son and you will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So inherent in his name was his mission. Jesus was missional. He came to earth to achieve something, not just to be a good man, but to achieve our salvation, our reconciliation with God. Today, we're going to look at Jesus as the peacemaker. I'm going to ask some questions. What's the source of unrest and strife in the world that we live? Who is our peace? I've answered that in brief. And how do we experience peace in our life? Father, I pause just for a moment and I invite you to please speak to our hearts. Open our minds. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and help us to respond to your word, Father. We expect to hear from you today in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's the source of unrest and strife? We all suffer from a lack of peace, right? I mean, face it. On a good day, a hundred different things happen to mess up your life, right? You know, the, the bill comes in that you didn't expect. The email that you read between the lines and it just grates on you and you can't get it out of your mind. The, 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 the children are upset. The, there's sickness. There, there's a, a diagnosis that comes in that you didn't expect. All kinds of things. And James addresses this when he says, 
count it all joy, brothers, when various trials come into your life. And you're like, count it joy? Because they come to test your faith. Ask God for wisdom, and he'll give you wisdom to know how to deal with these things. And the outcome will be that you will grow into the likeness of Christ as a result. So there is good that comes through these various trials that afflict the human race, whether you're a believer in God or not. They will come. There's another kind of trial that comes into the world, and that's the peace that's threatened by our own passions and our desires that rage within us. I mean, you've seen it on the highway, right? When someone gets ticked off at the guy in front of them and they ride the bumper and they're just like not making sense, you know, if they just thought about what they were doing and how this could end in such tragedy, they might think twice. But we've all been there. These are the passions and the desires that rage within us. And he talks about these are the things that also mess up our lives. The scriptures shed, shed, shed light on this as the fundamental problem within the human race. It takes place in our own hearts. James says this. What's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? In other words, the lack of peace. Is it not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, so that you might spend it on your pleasures. So the source of conflict is these out-of-control pleasures in me, the self-centeredness, the me-first mentality, the lust, the cravings from within that must be met, the envy, comparing, comparing myself to you and saying, oh, man, if I only had it as easy as if I only, you know, I deserve. Well, and so the envy rages within. We pray, but we don't. Pray for God's will. We pray for our own desired outcomes. Instead of surrendering our needs to him and knowing that he knows what's best for us. So the source of quarrels and conflicts, the broken relationships, is right here in my own heart. Further, this heart of mine makes me hostile toward God. You know, it's like I push back against him. I leave him al- behind me, and I pursue meeting my own needs, choosing my own desires, refusing to trust him, and going after it, and not being content until I get it. You see, there's this raging strife in the human heart. The Apostle Paul speaks of this struggle when he says in Romans 7, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh. I'm sold into bondage to sin. For what I'm doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing that I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So no, now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin that dwells within me. For I, the, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. 
that sounds confusing, but you all know where we're talk, what we're talking about, right? This internal strife. Have you felt this tension? Maybe the better question is, when was the last time you felt this tension? I know that tension well. You know what is right and good, but you don't do it. You have good intentions, but you can't seem to follow through. There's someone you know you should forgive, but every time you see his face, your heart gets hard again, and you just can't get those words out. I forgive you. It's okay. Right? You know you should be kind to that person that you just don't really like, and so you ignore him again when you see him instead of reaching out and extending your hand and trying to connect. You know that you should be kind, but you don't. You know that you should resist temptation. But the more you think about resisting that thing, the closer you get to it. And it occupies your thoughts until you satisfy your cravings. James writes again about this, and he says, When lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. You know, it it offers you life. It promises you something good, but it delivers death. That's spiritual death. Apart from Christ, we are spiritually dead. God's word tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, which we formerly walked According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, and that's his course, of the sons that are spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. He says, among them, you too all formerly lived in the lusts of your flesh, indulging the desires of your flesh and of your mind. And you were by nature children of wrath. So that's where we were. Apart from Christ, we're spiritually dead. We're walking according to the course of this world. Jesus spoke of this broad road that everyone's walking in. It seems like the right road because that's where everybody is. He says that road, even though it appears to be the right road, leads to death. But the narrow road, which is difficult to navigate, is the road that leads to life. And that's the road where he is standing, saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So, we will not argue that we're not all sinners. No one's exempt. The Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If the diagnosis of the human heart is that we're sinners by nature and by choice, then the prognosis, that is the long-term result or consequences, is death. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And that's not just physical death, because everyone dies physically. It's a reference to eternal separation from God. It's a result of our sin, of rejecting Him. Jesus spoke of this when he talked about the judgment day. He said that on that day, he'll separate the sheep from the goats. And he knows the difference because he is a discerner of the heart. And he's going to say to the ones on his right, come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then he's going to say to those on his left, 
Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into eternal judgment, but the righteous into eternal life. So there is a day of judgment that awaits all of us. Christ knows our hearts, and that decision to reject him leads to severe, the most severe of consequences. You see, my friends, God is holy, and he cannot endure sin in his presence. Those who are not holy will not stand in his presence. It's a very grave condition in which the human finds himself when he's apart from God. In this condition, we're alienated from him. Isaiah the prophet says, but your iniquities have built barriers between you and your God. There's just like no way to get to him. So we live in a broken world characterized by strife and wars. We struggle to get along on a personal level. Violence, broken marriages, a feeling of hopelessness and despair. We know the right things to do, but we just can't do them because it's not in us to do the right thing. The world is broken. I'm broken. You're broken. We're broken by sin and we're separated from God. Journeying down this road to a crisis eternity. Then steps God. Out of his good pleasure, the love of God sends his son, the remedy for our sin, his peace, peace initiative. It says in Ephesians 2.20, he himself, referring to Jesus, is our peace. It wasn't a piece of paper. It was a person. It was God himself in the flesh. God's peace plan required that God the son Come to earth without compromising his deity to represent God and to reconcile us to the father. It says in him, all the fullness of God dwelt in bodily form. Jesus says, a body you've prepared for me. Behold, I am come to do your will, O God. So God prepared this body, this 18 inch little guy in a manger And he indwelt him. Imagine that. It must have been an amazing feat to put all of God in a human frame and and to deliver him to earth. He was the representative of God's peace plan. And he was also the means by which the peace plan would be implemented or accomplished. I'm going to tell you some theology now, okay? So. I know this may sound a little threatening, but it's just like all wrapped up in this peace initiative that you need to understand some of the details. So get ready. Put on your thinking caps. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. His father was not a descendant of Abraham. It was God himself. He was born of a woman, but he was born of the Spirit of God. So he did not have the sin nature that came from Adam. He was perfect In all things, the most compliant of children, I'm sure, not just a good kid, but he was sinless. He radiated with the fullness of God. He was all love. He was fully kind all the time. Never had to be told to share his toys. Always patient, never selfish, 
always respectful, never messed up. I mean, have you raised a kid like that? Well, I have a couple in the front row that were close, but I mean, think about this. He was sinless, spotless, without fault, guilt or shame. He was qualified, therefore, to fulfill this mission of saving his people from their sins. His work was sufficient. And his sacrifice was once and for all times for all people from every generation. When he offered himself up as a sacrifice, it worked. It was adequate. It was more than adequate. Unlike the other high priests of the old covenant, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. First for his own sins, because he had none, and then for the sins of the people. He was sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he gave himself up. He was the sacrificial lamb of God. Now, the price for our freedom was his own blood. The Apostle Peter tells us that we've been redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's called the atonement. And it's a reference to the Old Testament where the priests would offer up sacrifices on behalf of the people. And these sacrifices were blood sacrifices. Bulls and goats were offered upon the altar as an offering to God. Their blood was shed and then they would slay a lamb and the high priest would take the blood of the lamb once a year into the high priest into this inner sanctum and he would sprinkle the blood upon the mercy seat. And it was all a symbolic reference that God would look down and he would see the blood on the mercy seat, the place where you're crying out for mercy and forgiveness, and he would cover the sins of the people once more. But it was all in reference to the coming lamb of God who would one day take away the sins of the world once and for all. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ. This is what took place. He became our sacrifice lamb. And for you and for me, he was our substitute. When he died on the cross, he bore our sins in his own body. And he became sin, who knew no sin. He offered himself up to God. The perfect lamb became sin and therefore was adequate to offer himself up as a sacrifice for us. In that sacrifice, God's demand for justice that the soul that sins must die was accomplished. He poured out his wrath upon his son, Jesus, instead of upon me and you. He poured out his wrath fully upon his son, and his son soaked it up and took it and bore it. And on that cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the father could not look upon his son as he had become sin for you and me. All that because he loves us and he offers to us salvation. All this sounds theological, but the way that it translated for Jesus was this. 
He entered our world and humbled himself. Born into poverty, raised in obscurity, he took on the role in the form of a servant to those that he had created. He was maligned, he was misunderstood, he was falsely accused of crimes that he did not commit by those to whom he had come to offer hope and salvation. He was given a mock trial with a predetermined outcome that would result in his death. They wanted him dead. They said, this is an evildoer. His own people. I mean, could they find anything wrong with him? Absolutely not. Except that he claimed to be God's son. A crime of blasphemy in their eyes. Those who stood by him while he's on the cross taunted him, saying, if you're the son of God, come down from there. And yet he laid, he stayed there, dying there for our sins, suffering alienation and rejection from his father. All for you and me. It will take all of eternity for us to understand fully what this salvation is all about. All these concepts of what God did through his son for us will be our good pleasure throughout eternity. Through Jesus Christ, God reconciled all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. The work of the cross of Christ made the way to peace that has been established between this fallen race, you and me, and God the Father. God's peace plan through Jesus worked. He was fully satisfied with Christ's. And now he extends an invitation to all who want to know him. And the, the final point that I'd like us to consider is, how do you experience this peace in your life today? What's required of you to know him? It's simply this, to receive him by faith. It's not by joining this church or any church. Or being a good person. It's simply by believing that Jesus Christ died there for you. It's understanding this, that I, yes, I am a sinner. I admit that I'm broken and sinful, much like the world and the people around me, trying to make sense out of their lives. They are dealing with things the best way they know how. I'm dealing with, the best, with things the best way I know how, but always coming up empty. Sin comes from this word called harmatia, which is, a picture of an archer or archer shooting at a bullseye. And if you could picture that the bullseye is God's holiness, the archers, you and me, are trying to shoot for the bullseye, but we continually miss the mark of God's holiness. And yet God has said to us and continues to say, you must be holy for I am holy. He will not change the bullseye. He does not grade on a curve. He says, you must be holy. And we say, but we, but we can't. We've got this dilemma. It's right in here raging within me. The things that I want to do, I can't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. So what is, what is that? And then he says, well, one more layer of bad news. The soul that sins must die. There's judgment for not hitting the mark. And that is eternal separation from God. So you say, oh, this is getting bleaker and bleaker. You call this the gospel? No, there is the good news. And that is that though judgment comes to those who reject him, 
God has sent his son, Jesus, to die for us. And if we but believe in our hearts, period, and receive him as our savior, we will experience the gift of eternal life. He's offering it to us. He's extending it to us as a gift. Not as something that we have to achieve, no hoops to jump through, simply to reach out by faith and say, thank you for what you have done for me. I acknowledge your work and I receive this gift by faith. The Bible tells us very clearly that those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That there's no other name under heaven given among people that whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. Call upon him. Receive him by faith. And you will experience his eternal life that he offers. What happens then? At that point, you become a new creature. All things are, old things are passed away. All things become new. So now there's this fundamental change within me, in my spirit, where the spirit of God comes and lives within me. And the very things that once led to war and strife and discontentment and enmity now are changed from within. And I have the desire and the capacity to love and to forgive and to be gentle and humble. I've seen it over and over again in you who sit before me. The change of God's grace in your lives and in myself. This is not us on this you know, self-help plan. This is not about that. This is about God coming and living within you and changing you from the inside out through his son, Jesus, by his spirit. You have peace with God, knowing that you're rightly related to him. There is no judgment that awaits for you. When you stand before him and he opens the books and he looks at the Lamb's book of life, your name will be recorded there. Because you have put your faith in the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. And all the things that you have done wrong will not be recorded. They will not be in his book. The only thing that he'll see is the blood of Christ shed for you has been appropriated by faith. And you are his child. You have hope. You are a person of hope now. You have something that this world desperately needs. A light in the distance to give you direction, meaning, and purpose in life. You've become his child, adopted into his family, and nothing can change that adoption. You have all the rights and the privileges of a child born into the family. And you will experience God's presence continually. By the indwelling presence of his spirit. Is this not a good deal? If you don't know Christ, this is the time, man. Get it right. Don't wait. You don't have anything to lose except hell. I don't want that, and you don't either. But you don't have to because God has offered you eternal life through his son. Now, if you're a Christian today, many of you are believers This is a simple gospel message, but doesn't it cause you to rejoice to know that this is who I am in Christ? This is my identity. This is who I am. It's not in what I achieve. You rest in the grace of God. 
you are there. You've arrived. You don't have to keep working to achieve God's favor. Rest in the finished work of Christ day by day. The just shall live by faith. You don't have to fear life. Even though we look at what's going on in the news on a global and a domestic level, we don't have to fear this. Because you know what? Christ is still on the throne, right? And we're good to go. He's going to take care of us. That doesn't mean we check out of the world. That means that now we are ambassadors of reconciliation. We have the message of hope and we offer it to the world packaged in this body. I now love. I forgive. I show something very different than the world offers. I have the capacity to love and I extend the message as to how others can get on board with that and experience that joy and love and peace themselves. This is our mission, friends. When someone offends you, be quick to forgive them because you have been forgiven so much. You know, we have no right to hold anything as a grudge. And when you sin, and you will continually if you're like me, know that you have an advocate with the Father. That's Jesus Christ the righteous. He not only died for you, but he lives to make intercession for you. He pleads his blood. He says, I died for them. I died for him. And so we get back up out of the gutter after we've sinned. We say, thank you for dying for me. Christ, I move on in the power of Christ and in his strength. Make this Christmas time the time when you embrace the Savior. In Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell so that he might reconcile you and me to himself and to give us the hope and the joy and the peace that only Jesus can give. Believe, my friends, in the peace, the Prince of Peace today and let him give you the peace that settles your soul and equips you then with a message of hope for this world, a message of peace. If you're here today and you say, I'd like to know this Christ personally, I, I might need a little help. Maybe you could pray with me. I'd love to stay up here and pray with you. So make your way up here and talk to me or to Bryce or to Brian or someone else who might be hanging out up here. And we'll pray with you. You might receive Christ as your Savior. You don't need us to do that. It's just between you and God. But we're here for you if you'd like to talk. Please rise as I give you the benediction. Jesus said this to his disciples in John chapter 20 after he'd raised from the dead. He said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I send you forth into a world that needs the hope that you possess. Go and boldly proclaim through life and message that message of hope. In Jesus' name, amen.